able to sing that high, amen? <laughs> oh, good job, but I tell you what, it's a good message in that song more than that, isn't it? I'm glad I'm serving a God that's still on the throne. If you will, be taking your Bibles and turning with me to the book of Acts chapter 13 today. Appreciate Brother Mike filling in for Brother Rick today, doing a great job with the choir and the music, and appreciate him. Enjoy that sing. Amen. Acts chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse number 26. Let's go ahead and stand in honor to the reading of his word. Just read a few verses today. Acts 13, verse 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, 
they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Talking about Jesus. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were his witnesses unto their people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Thank you. You may be seated. Our Father, once again, before we begin this message, we come to you. And we say, Lord, we need your help. We need your anointing. We need your power. We need your grace. And we need your help. And I pray that right now you would fill me, Lord, and to say exactly what you want said in exactly the manner that you want it said. I pray that you would speak to my heart. I pray that you would speak to the hearts of those that are here today. Thank you for everyone who decided the church was the most important thing they could do this morning. And I ask you to bless them for being here. And I pray that you'd help us now. We look to you because we are needy in this area. And ask you that you would be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. In business, there is a concept that is known as differential advantage. It is what makes one product or one service or one company better than its competitor, better than its competitors. Advanced Auto Parts advertises itself with the slogan, the best part is our people. They are saying that their employees are their differential advantage, so to speak. Other companies may advertise that it's their exceptional quality of service. Or maybe it's, uh, that's what sets them apart from similar companies. While others may declare that the standard of excellence in their product is what gives them the advantage. Maybe it's the product, maybe it's the service. Another way of saying it could be it's our people or it's our service or it's our product that makes the difference. May I submit to you today that when it comes to Christianity, you and I have our own differential advantage. There is something that sets us apart from other religions, something that makes us a step above all other faiths. It can be found in the two words that we've taken as a title for today, but God. If someone asked us what makes Christianity so special, we'd have to say it's not our fellowship, although we have good times together. It's not our worship because people of other religions, they worship also. It's not our churches. It's not our buildings. It's not our programs. The only thing that we could declare that makes what we do and what we believe so special, the only foundation we could stand on would be this one statement, it's our God that makes the difference. It's our God that makes the difference. As we look at our text for today, we first of all see what I want to call a depressing side of the life of Christ. They condemned him to die. He was crucified, nailed to a cross. They buried him in a grave. And if you look, verse 29 ends up with that phrase. They laid him in a sepulcher. If the chapter ended with that verse, we would end with a down note. We would end with a depressing situation. We would end with no hope. 
But thank God our story does not end there. Verses 31, 32, and 33 give us an uplifting side to the story as we see what God was able to fulfill in the life of Christ and sandwiched in between the depressing side and the uplifting side are two magic words that make all the difference. But God. We see God intervening and things start to change. No matter what the situation is, before he comes on the scene, action starts picking up whenever he does come on the scene. It makes a difference when you have a but God. It's not the only time in Scripture that we find this phrase. It's found several times, and we're going to look more closely at some of these occasions today and glean some encouragement from them and some insight into the character of God. But God. Turn with me, if you would, or look on the screen. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2 for our first stop looking at these two magic words. You found a lot more times than I could put into one message. It'd make a great series sometime, I'm sure. But we're going to pull out three of them today and look at them and see what God will do for us in speaking to us. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is, of course, has began his earthly ministry, and he's in the city of Capernaum. He's in a place preaching, and, and they, some men decided they were bringing a man to him who was sick of the palsy, the Bible says. Paralyzed, was not able to do anything. They bring this man to Jesus, and they can't get into the building where he's at. So what do they do? They go up on the roof and tear off the roof and let this man down to Jesus. You would expect Jesus to say, you are healed. But here's what Jesus said. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Verse 6 of this chapter says, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man speak blasphemies? And here it is, verse number 7. Who can forgive sins but God only? It goes on that Jesus did heal this man and he did forgive his sins. But the scribes in our story came forth with a question. Who can forgive sins but God only? In their question, they also made a declaration. Did you catch it? They said something in there. Instead of just, instead of just being a question, there's something else in there. Do you hear what they're saying? God can forgive sins. In their question against Jesus, they exalted him. In their doubt of what he could do, they strengthened my faith. And in this chapter, we see, first of all, God's converting power. God's converting power. I am glad I'm serving a God who has the power to convert a sinner to a saint. Take me out of the mire, put me, make me fit for the choir, make me, change my direction from going to a devil's hell to a God's heaven. I'm glad I'm serving a God who has the power to convert people today. As we look at this power, first of all, in salvation, we see the power to convict because the first step in the salvation of a sinner is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 9, we have the story of the conversion of the Apostle Paul in which God made this statement to him. He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What he was saying is that it's hard for you to keep resisting the conviction that I have placed in your heart. John 6, says that no man could come to God and come, no man come to Jesus Christ except for God the Father draws him. That is conviction. God uses people, God uses circumstances to draw us to himself, but true conviction only comes from God. 
And I'm glad that in God's converting power, God has the power to convict a lost sinner of his need for a divine Savior. We see God's power to convict, but there's a second thing. We see God's power to cleanse. Because the second step in salvation, once he has convicted your heart and you have accepted him as your Savior, is that he cleanses your sins. Again, there's no power on earth that can wash sins away. There's no remedy for our transgressions. No cure for our iniquities. No hope for a person who is, whose life is filled with sin. But that's where God comes in and makes all the difference. You see, He alone is the one who has the power to cleanse our sins. Soap cannot wash them away. Lysol cannot have any effect on our sins. Degreaser doesn't do anything. Take all the cleansers, all the soaps, all the cleansing powders and the scrubs and everything else, and you apply them to a sinner's sin, and it's still as black as it was before you put them on there. Many through the centuries have cried with the patriarch Job, how then can a man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? The answer comes ringing back in the form of a song when the, psalm, when the songwriter said, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Although there are many verses we could use today to remind us of God's power to cleanse sins, let me just call your attention to one of them. Isaiah 43, verse 25, he says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Amen. I'm glad this morning that for the but God of his converting power. Amen. I'm glad he has the power to convict hearts. I'm glad he has the power to cleanse sins. But there's a third power, and that is the power to change. Because the third step in the salvation of a sinner is the changing of that sinner into a servant of God. There is an instantaneous transformation that takes place in a person's life when they accept Christ as their Savior. There's something that happens. There's no power that can do that except the power of God. Because He alone has the power to convict a sinful heart. He alone has the power to cleanse a multitude of transgressions. He alone has the power to change one who is completely without the knowledge of God and ignorant of the things of God, has no interest in the things of God, change him into somebody who comes to church every Sunday, reads their Bible, prays, gets in church and shouts a little bit. Only the power of God can do something like that. The power to change. It's worth shouting about when I think of the change that he made in my life. It's like you ask... Why do I sit on this front row and do a little bit of shouting? Why am I getting a little bit excited talking about it? Because he made a difference in my life. There's a change that took place, and it's something I'm rejoicing about today. I'm glad for the difference that the but God makes in my life. Once I had a life with no joy, but God gave me joy unspeakable and full of glory. Once I had a life with no peace, but God gave me peace that passes all understanding. Once I had a life with no happiness, but God gave me a home in heaven that makes me happy today. Once I had a life that had no satisfaction, but God opened his hand and satisfied my desire. Once I had a life that actually was really no life, but God made all the difference. Where there was no life, but God stepped in. Oh, what a difference when Jesus passed by. I can't, the song, I, there's a song by that title. I don't know if I can remember all of it or not. Oh, what a difference when Jesus passed by. 
I can't explain it, and I cannot tell you why, but oh, what a difference. That's good enough. That's all I need to remember right there. I can't explain it. I can't tell you why, but I do know that he made a difference in this old boy's life one day when he walked in, and he saved me, and he convicted my heart. He cleansed my sins, and he changed my life forever. But God, the but God of converting power, he makes all the difference. Amen? Let me give you a couple other verses under this. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. He has made us alive, quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Are you glad this morning for the but God in your life? Amen. Amen. That's worth shouting about. If I was sitting down there, I'd be shouting about it. Amen. <laughs> I'm talking about a God who took a man in Scripture that was a persecutor of Christians, that went around committing them to prison, killing them. And one day on the road to Damascus, as we've already alluded to, a bright light shines around this man. He gets stricken to the ground, and the voice said, It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. There's something going on in your life that you can't explain. Amen? Amen. Something happened in your life that you don't understand. But let me tell you what it is. It's me convicting your heart. And he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And God took a man who was a persecutor. God took a man who self-proclaimed was the chief of all sinners and made the apostle Paul out of him. I'm talking about a God who walked into a, a rugged, rough fisherman's life one day, the apostle Peter that we know him as, and a man who did not have anything to do with God, a man who had no interest in God, and he said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And sometime later, we see Peter standing up and preaching and 3,000 people getting saved. Amen. There's a difference when there's a but God. God's converting power. I'm glad for that today. Can you rejoice with me today? Can you rejoice over the change that God's made in your life? Can you rejoice with me about God walking into your life when you had no idea or interest in him? And all of a sudden, God just said, you know what? I'm going to work on this boy's heart. I'm going to work on this lady's heart. And all of a sudden, it may, it may have taken a, a short time, it may have taken several years, God convicting your heart, but one day you knelt before him. If not in body and spirit, you knelt before that old rugged cross, and you said, I believe you, Jesus, died for me. I believe you can take me to heaven. And God walked in and made the difference in your life. Amen. But God... Let me take you to a second passage, if I can, or a couple of verses, actually. Psalm 73, verse number 26. It says, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. That right there is worth stopping on. But God is faithful. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you, will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. As we read these verses, we're reminded of God's faithfulness. He's described by one Bible writer as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. It's another insight about God that encourages my heart today, and that's the reminder of his constant unfailing dedication to be by my side, God's constant presence. We see God's converting power, and all oh, we can rejoice about that. 
If I stopped right there, we've heard enough to go home and rejoice about. But there's something else. It's God's constant presence. God's constant presence. As we look at these verses, we'll just look at them individually. First of all, as we look at Psalm 73, 26, we see His strength. And as He was departing this earth, Jesus said, All power is given unto me. Matthew chapter 28. All power is given unto me. Did you catch that? All power is given unto me. And the New Testament comes in saying this. The writer of one of the epistles said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now put those two together. Jesus said, all power, give it unto me. And I'm going to live in you. His strength. All that power, that strength, that might is bound up in the one who is with me in every moment of every hour of every single day. One of the attributes of God is his omnipotence, the fact that he is all-powerful. There's nothing too hard for him to handle. Nothing too big for him. You see, the only way that he knows what the word impossible means is when it comes to remembering my sins. It's impossible for him to do that. That's about the only thing he can't do. Outsiders looking in have often wondered why it is that a Christian can seem to go through trouble and go through difficulty with a different spirit and a different attitude. May I submit to that person today looking on the outside, it's the but God that makes the difference. Because there are times when my flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart. Times when I can't make it, but God gives me the strength to go on. Times when I don't feel like going another step, but God puts strength in that leg to go one more time. Times when I don't feel like going on and God gives me strength to keep on going. Times when I say, God, I'm going under and God gives me the strength to keep on swimming. There are times when I wonder, God, how am I going to make it? And God walks in and God gives me strength and God gives me power and God makes my life different than somebody who doesn't know him. I'm glad for his strength today. I have always liked watching magic tricks. I don't have a clue how to do any of them, but I've always liked watching it. Some years ago, there was, they ran some specials on Magic's Greatest Secrets Revealed. Ran it on TV. And I always was wondering how they did some of the stuff they did. And you may be one who doesn't want to know how it happens, but I'm fixing to tell you about one, so if you don't want to hear it, just cover your ears. <laughs> this magician sat down in a chair and held his arms out like this. And of course, they got all this fancy stuff going on and everything else. And he's got his arms holding out. And one of his assistants gets up and stands on his arm while it's out. So he's just sitting, a chair's sitting down. He sits in it, sticks out his arms. She gets up on his, on his back here and then walks out on his arm. And it looks like this guy is real strong. I mean, to be able to just hold this person up, but what, they, what people don't realize is that that chair is a specially made chair. And in the back of that chair, there's two big old steel bars that come out, and they come out right behind his arm, and you can't see them. <laughs> what she was really standing on was that steel bar. And it looked like she was standing on him. It looked like he was awful strong. The truth of the matter is, he didn't have the strength to do it. There was something that nobody else could see that was giving him the strength to do what he appeared to be doing. And there's been times in my life, people looked at my life and said, man, you're a strong Christian. Uh Uh-uh. There's something behind me. There's a God behind me. 
There's a God who has eternal, everlasting, unlimited strength who is behind me. And he's the one who holds me up. We see his strength, but as we look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we see his stability. The faithfulness of God, what an attribute. It really cannot even be described by our limited minds. Faithfulness and loyalty are lost character traits in the society in which we live today. People are forsaking their families. People are forsaking and are being unloyal to everything in the world. But there is one who has promised to be faithful and loyal to us as believers. One who's never failed us, doesn't plan on starting anytime soon. And one who the Bible says in Lamentations 3.23, Great is thy faithfulness. I'm glad for the but God of his constant presence. Because that presence lets me know that he's strengthening me. That presence lets me know that he is faithful and there is a stability in the God that I serve. And even when I am not faithful, he cannot deny himself. He's got to stay faithful. When the children of Israel left Egypt, God promised him that he would be with him. And that abiding presence was manifested in two ways as they made their journey through the wilderness. By day there was a cloud, and by night there was a pillar of fire. And although I do not have those two visible manifestations of his presence, I am just as assured today that God is with me, that he will not leave me, that he will not forsake me, that he is going to be with me no matter what I face in my life, no matter what difficulty may come up in my life. I'm glad that God's constant presence is with me. Are you glad today for his strength? Are you glad today for the stability that he brought into your life whenever he saved you? It's provided by his presence. We see God's converting power. That's the, that still got me stuck. I may go back and preach the first point again. I like it. God's converting power. God's constant presence gives me strength, gives me stability. But number three, we see God's consuming plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 26, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble are called. And here it is. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. God has an ultimate plan in mind. It's the same plan he's had since the beginning of time. It's not changed. It's not going to change. Everything he does, he does with that plan in mind whether it be things he does before we get saved, the act of salvation, or things he does in our lives after we get saved, he has one goal. With that thought in mind, let's take a look at a couple of things from these verses. First of all, we see the people that God chooses. The people that God chooses. Look what he says. says, Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God. 
Well, I'm glad for this. He has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God's chosen the weak things to confound the things which are mighty and base things and things which are despised. Are you despised this morning? Do you consider yourself low? Do you consider yourself foolish sometimes? Do you consider yourself weak? Guess what? That's you're the one God's looking for. You see, whenever we pick up ball teams or whenever we pick somebody to be on our side, we always want to get the best. Sports teams spend millions of dollars to get the best people on their team. But when it came to God choosing his team, he said, you know what? That one looks weak. I'll take that one. That one looks pretty rough. I'll, come on, you're on my team. He started at the lowest spot. Started picking. He said, come on, come on, come on. The people he chooses are not the ones that we normally think about. You're in here this morning, you're wondering, how could God ever use me? I, I just, I'm nothing. <laughs> you're exactly the kind he's looking for. There's a but God of his consuming plan. And first of all, we see the people he chooses. God could have chosen anyone to begin his work, but he chose us. He could have limited his choices to the great minds, the great talents, or the great abilities. He could have stayed with the social elite, the wealthy, or the ones who were of great physical stature, maybe. But he chose us. He took nothing. Started with nothing. Snatched us up out of nothing. Yeah. I mean, just as nothing as nothing can get. And he started making something out of us. What a God. I'm glad for the but God of his consuming plan. I'm glad that I carry the qualifications that he's looking for because all he asks is just that I be available. You may be in here today as a teenager and people told you all your life you're not going to amount to anything. You're not, going to, you're not worth anything. Guess what? Here's the one God's looking for. You say, you think he can use me? Oh, yeah. You think God could do something with me? Oh, yeah. Why? Because there's a scripture. It says he's chosen the foolish things, and he's chosen the weak things, and he's chosen the things which are despised and the base things of this life. I'm glad for that today. Not only the people he chooses, but we see the purpose that he communicates. And in this, we see what that consuming plan is. What is this great purpose? What is the divine plan that God has, has had throughout the ages comes down to one thing. Does God get glory out of it? What's it say? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He created us for his glory. He works in us for his glory. He saves us for his glory. He calls us for his glory. He uses us for his glory. And if we're doing that, it makes all the difference in the world. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that God has one consuming plan, and we see it in this but God of Scripture. That plan is that he can get glory out of my life and out of your life. You see, if all he got was the big shots, they'd think they were something. If all he got was the big shots, they'd think, hey, we did this. But all he got was us. And the only thing I can say is to God be the glory because great things he has done. He didn't have to choose me. He knew my shortcomings, knew my failures, knew my faults, knew my own humanity. But you know what? He still said, I'll take you on my team. 
it's worth rejoicing about today. That's worth saying, man, he sure is good. The fact that he didn't have to choose us, but he did. What a blessing. What a blessing. People are consumed by so many things today. Maybe in the sports world, they're consumed by winning a championship. Maybe Olympians are consumed about winning a gold medal. People are consumed by greed and by money and material things. Consumed by an everlasting search for youthful looks or great beauty. But what consumes God is one thing, is that he gets the glory. And that leads us to one conclusion. And that is that our lives are to bring glory to him. And since that's his consuming plan, it should be ours also. Does your life bring glory to God? But God makes all the difference. Because when it comes to, well, this platform sure does creak a lot. But God makes the difference. When you think about somebody who's unsaved and without God, think about what you were like before he found you. Think about what you are now and realize it's a but God in the middle that made all the difference. Think about the fact that before you met him, you had no strength. There was no stability. There is no stability in a world without Christ. And now there is strength in your life to go through trials that you can't even explain to somebody. Now there's a stability in your life that you can't really explain. There's a but God in the middle. Think about the fact that you had no purpose in life. You felt like nothing could be done with you. You felt like nobody would ever want you on their team. Went through school, you're always the last one to be picked. And now God says, I want you on my team. It says, a but God in the middle. I'm glad today. I'm just, I've been rejoicing all week over this thought. The fact that God saved me. The fact that God's with me. The fact that God wants me on his team. God chooses to use me. He didn't have to, but he did. And that's wonderful. And I can rejoice in that today. And I'm sure you can too. Let's stand together, please, and bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the difference that you make in our lives. A life without you and a life with you sure does make all the difference. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for using us for your honor and your glory, using us in your plan. Ask you, Lord, to help us to respond to you during this invitation. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, no one looking around, please. First of all, how many of you just say, Mister, I'm sure glad for the but God in my life. And I want to just lift my hand in praise to the Lord this morning. I'm glad there's a but God in my life. Thank you. Put your hands down. You may be in here today, and there's never been that time in your life. There never was a time when God came into your life and made all the difference. You have no strength. You have no stability. You have no purpose in life. You're without God. If you were to die right now, you are not assured of going to heaven. 
you have some doubts about your salvation. There's never been a but God experience in your life. Are you here this morning like that? Brother Aaron, I'm not saved. I'm not sure that if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure there's ever been one of those experiences in my life. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out, but I would like to pray for you. Is there anybody in here like that that you'd say, Brother Aaron, I'm not sure about my salvation. I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Would you slip your hand up where I could see it? Anybody at all? I'm not sure. Thank you. I see one hand. Anybody else? I'm not sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. I'm not 100% sure. Anybody at all? All right, I see another hand. Thank you. We're going to pray again in a moment, then we're going to sing. Maybe today you'd just like to find your place in this altar and thank God for the difference he's made in your life. Maybe you just want to stand at your seat and pray. Maybe you want to turn around and kneel there at your seat. That's fine. But we all have a reason to respond today because we can all rejoice over the difference that he's made in our lives. Heavenly Father, bless now. Work according to your plan. In your name we pray. Amen. You come as they sing if God spoke to your heart this morning. your hand. You have some doubts about your salvation. Maybe you'd like to come to this altar. Let somebody have a word of prayer with you and show you how you can know for sure. It's your call, your decision. Just let him have his way.